Now, it's time for Modern Money Donuts with Stephen Hale and Gabrielle Bond. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us. My name is Gabrielle Bond. I'm an organiser for the Sustainable Prosperity Action Group here in Adelaide, South Australia, on the land of the Ghana people. I'm also a director of Modern Money Lab, and I'm here with Stephen Hale, my co-host. Hello, everyone. Yeah, my name's Stephen, and I'm an adjunct associate professor at Torrance University in Adelaide and an economist with Modern Money Lab. Our guest this week is Kyren von Sweden. Uh, sorry, I've, I've pronounced that wrong again. Kieran, it's Karen. Karen, that's it. You've got to get the Scottish pronunciation right. Karen is the Executive Director of Modern Money Scotland, uh, co-presenter of the Scotonomics podcast. Um, she's an environmental activist and a campaigner for Scottish independence. Hi, Karen. Are you on with us? There we go. Yeah. Let's get are. that pronunciation sorted out. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I've got, is it Kieran? Is it's Kieran. Right? Kieran. 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 <laughs> like an E, an E thank, thank you very much. It's <laughs> lovely to speak to you again. Thanks very much for coming on our show. I'm very happy to be here. It's nice. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. That's okay. Um, maybe, I don't know what, how much to take for granted in terms of how much people across the world know about the political entity often called the United Kingdom. Uh, and uh, coming from a Welsh family, I've sometimes been a bit peeved when people <laughs> in Australia and elsewhere, when they've been talking about the UK or Britain, have called it England. Yeah. You're a campaigner for Scottish independence how long has Scotland been linked to England in the United Kingdom and why is it important for Scotland to become independent? Um, so the Act of Union was 1707 um, and that really happened because, uh, well, for various reasons, but, you know, the, the Darien venture was uh, one of the reasons and a lot of wealthy people lost money. So it was uh, it was a nice way for them to, to be a bit more solvent again. But there were protests on the street in Edinburgh at the time because the ordinary people who didn't have a vote then weren't weren't for it, as it were. Um, and we used to, at that time, had mints. We we used to uh, print our own money then as well. But and at the Act of Union, that was one of the things that we were supposed to retain. But that mm. was uh, eventually um, joined into the or absolved into the Chancellor's position. So really all the uh, infrastructure ended up in London, as, as you as you well know. So yeah, um, so the Act of Union happened in 1707. So Scotland had been, you know, an independent country a long time before that. And um, I'm, ca I'm campaigning for Scottish independence. I, I guess probably the most important reason for me is subsidiarity. Um, I think I'd always felt, um, initially I was brought up in, in Chester in England, my mum and dad moved there when I was a baby, and I always felt Scottish, you know, in that situation, my parents were, you know, clearly different from everyone round about me. So were um, far from Wales. Yeah, yeah I, I literally, my parents would hang me over the sign, so I'd be half in England, half in Wales. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very close wow. to Wales. So, yeah, um, uh, Scottish independence, yeah. So I always felt that, you know, Scotland should be an independent country. 
and there was a movement with the, the Scottish National Party, but it was very small at the time and it's just been steadily growing and growing. Um, and then we had a referendum in 2014. Um, I was doing my degree at the time and so I couldn't really be involved with it. So when I left university, I decided I'd get much more involved with the independence campaign because people were ready to keep keep the the the, the light on for that mm. idea and um and, and keep going with it. So yeah, so that's yeah. I've been really campaigning more seriously for that since 2017. And Fantastic. As part of that, you're uh, the chief executive of Modern Money Scotland. And you co-present a, a very popular podcast called Scottonomics. Could you tell us something about those two? So the reason Modern Money Scotland started was really after the pandemic started. So originally I had been MMT Scotland. Um, mm. And I, I noted that at the start of the pandemic, the mainstream media in, in um, the UK were starting to talk about, oh, we'll need uh, post-pandemic austerity to pay for this pandemic <laughs> so you know obviously I was very familiar with MMT by that time so I knew that this was nonsense and it had to be mm. debunked and debunked very strongly so and you know there were some political commentators were talking about um, reducing the triple lock on pensions and things like that as well so I, I said to some of the people I was involved with with MMT Scotland perhaps we should broaden our scope a little bit and um, because I'd been listening to people like Steve Keen, who had slightly different ideas, and I, I thought they were important ideas as well. So I wanted yeah. it to be, be a broader thing um, and take other ideas in as well. So that's how Modern Money Scotland started. Um, at the beginning of uh, last year, we uh, finished a paper on the job guarantee. And then also I'd done a little bit of media work with William before um, on the uh, SNP Fringe. Scottish National Party fringe and then um, he said to me why don't we start a programme about um, economics and try and explain a lot more because videos will be a good way for a lot of people they'll work for a lot of people so obviously yeah. you want to be quite committed to learn about economics to read a 10,000 word paper which is the only policy paper we've got up just now um, mm -hmm. but watching a video for maybe 45 minutes is less of a commitment and people might it might pull people in and yeah. you know I think to a certain extent you know for me having lived uh, in London and in Chester and in, in the Netherlands it is quite nice to hear something in your own accent or a similar accent so that that works for a lot of people absolutely that's well, great so we're to... kind of sisters across the world <laughs> <laughs> Although we've only just started our, our series of videos, but enjoying it very much so far. And hopefully we'll have Steve Keen on at some point. Um, yeah. So that's great. That's so fantastic. Um, I'm really, really interested to hear about your other campaign, pay, the Paid to Pollute campaign, which is um, a pretty big deal. Um, I think I, I mean, I work for an environmental law office here in Australia called the Environmental Defenders Office, sort of like the, the environment's legal team, so to speak. And um, I think climate litigation is a really, really fascinating area and one of the few sort of um, chinks in the armour that we might have to um, act on climate. Um, I was wondering, would you be able to talk to us a bit about... Um, how, what led to uh, that campaign and um, what happens now? And how do you even go about suing the UK government anyway? Okay, so 
Um, so with, with campaigns like this, this is this is a multi-pronged thing with a lot of people involved in it. So I was asked to become involved in it as a plaintiff. And um, I, I didn't really know what that involved. I had an idea. We have a, an MP here um, in, in Westminster Parliament. Um, she's called Joanna Cherry. And when the uh, UK government tried to prorogue the parliament, she went to court against them there as well. So I knew mm -hmm. that, that this kind of thing happened. And um, so I was asked to join as a plaintiff and um, I looked at what that would involve and I agreed to do that and said, yeah, I, I would do that. Um, but there was a media team and there mm -hmm. were lawyers involved in it as well. Um, a law firm called Lady who are um, very right on. They, they do a lot of good things. My dad was actually blacklisted um, in the early 90s, um, as a lot of people who were um, shop stewards were. Mm. Um, it, could you maybe take a, a, a step back? Because there's lots of jargon that uh, people might not understand there. I, I, don't know, I don't know what terminology people use in the US. You're from an oil city. Kieran. Yeah, so so Aberdeen is where yeah. I was brought up. My dad worked in the oil rigs. Um, yeah. So they were keen to have someone from my area um, because they had two English people. And, and one of them had worked in Grangemouth and one of them was a medical student as well. So, yeah, I, I was I was keen to help from that point of view. So my, my dad was involved in uh, uh, in strikes on, on the oil rigs um, because mm. he saw a lot of bad work in practice. So my dad was blacklisted. Mm. And Lady were actually the, the law firm that managed to get him some money back. So oh. I knew about Lady before. I was really happy to get involved with them. Um, yeah, so uh, we, we took the, the UK government to court. So you, um, you, you know, you obviously contact their lawyers and then, you know, the QCs from, from both places get up into the high court and they argue the point. So um, we were arguing against the maximising economic recovery from the North Sea, that that wasn't compatible with the Paris Climate Agreement, which obviously is not. <laughs> so, um, yes. I mean... You, you so know, the campaign was called Paid to Pollute, and that's pretty much it in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, because the oil companies in the UK, um, a lot of them are getting massively subsidised um, to do what they're doing, and... You know, I don't know if your Australian viewers know this, but um, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister in the UK, uh, the UK is the currency issuer. So they get to make all the decisions, the UK government. So um, they are planning to hike up national insurance, which is really regressive. Mm. Um, which is a payroll tax, basically. Yeah, so it's a payroll tax, yeah. So we've got two. You've got your, your, inc uh, you know, your normal income um, tax. It's called income tax. And then you've also got national insurance, which is supposed to be ostensibly for your health care and for your social security. But, you know, I just, fund. yeah, it, it, it yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't really actually work like that. We all know that. But, yeah, that's yeah. that's what it's for. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, the ordinary people will end up um, paying more. And also we've got an energy crisis happening here as well. So um, people's bills, their gas bills are going to go up probably by about uh at least double what they were before in April. So that's all looking really bad. And then Brexit, we've had Brexit recently. 
So that's put the price of, of a lot of things up and also the pandemic has also, you know, changed the, the, the situation with supply side. So we've got less supply. So then obviously then uh, that's also putting prices up as well. So there's a lot of financial pressures coming on ordinary families in the next wee while. And um, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know how the UK government can survive these ideas. They have so far, despite a lot of nefarious behaviour. I don't know, again, how mm. much your viewers are following what's happening with Boris Johnson. Oh, um, God. It was yeah, on the news in, it was headline news in Australia this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, I consider what's, what's happening to be, uh, you know, they're encouraging um, the extraction of fossil fuels by making it so easy. They're just making it so easy. And we had so many opportunities already in Scotland to do more environmentally because Scotland is blessed with natural resources. And, you know, like Norway, we've got a lot of natural resources and a very small population. So, you know, we've we've got five million people in Scotland and we've had oil rigs dotted around the Scottish coast and bringing in oil for 40 years um, and keeping the balance of payments for the UK government in a nice position. Um, but, you know, now uh, what we, we've also realised is that we have 25% of the EU's wind energy, uh, offshore wind energy, and we have 25% of the EU's um, um, tidal energy. So mm. there's quite a lot of tidal turbines happening around the coast as well. So we're not saying 25% of the UK, we're saying the EU, which is 500 million people. And we're 5 million people. So, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of energy to sell. And we already are net exporters of electricity to England. Um, I can vouch so for the fact that it's very windy in Scotland. It's very windy. And I've also been on ferries from Scotland to Ireland. I can vouch for the fact that the, the wave power is uh, is uh, quite prodigious. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you know, but in the, uh, right up on the north coast, we've got a place called the Pentland Firth, and the Pentland Firth has yeah. five tidal systems there. So it's mm. very, uh, you know, it's a lot of movement, and yeah. uh, it can produce a lot of energy. So yeah, we're very blessed with our natural resources. But over the past ten years, we've seen a growth of food banks in Scotland. So despite mm. our natural resources and that we have very many of them in our small population, um, we have had a growth in food banks in the past 10 years. So, yeah, go figure. How does that happen? Yeah. So I guess this is all the kind of machinations that happen when, um, when people in charge don't actually understand how, how um, money is created and to look after the people that depend on them. And then you've got the whole energy transition happening at the same time and all, the, all of these things are kind of crashing headlong into each other and causing massive havoc. And then, of course, you've got the kind of disaster capitalism that Naomi Klein talks about and, you know, the shock doctrine happening. And, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting and scary time to be an activist. <laughs> it, it's debatable that they don't understand. Oh I, yeah, I I, I, I you, understand I, perfectly well. <laughs> I, I think I think Boris Johnson and 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 his ilk know understand exactly yeah, how. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because I think you could make the argument here that they don't get it. Yeah, some of some of them don't. I wanted to ask Kieran what actually happened. So you actually had a day in court. Yeah, so um, we had a, a wonderful QC called mm. um, David Wolf. And yeah, he went through the points very um, forensically, actually. Um, I thought he argued them very well. 
Um, I didn't think that the the government's lawyers and the uh, yeah the the uh, oil and gas uh, authorities' lawyer. I mean, why they had two two QCs, I don't really know because they're really one and the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had two QCs. Um, but the judge, yeah, she she ruled against us. So I, I didn't expect that to be honest. I I mm-hmm. thought that she looked at our QC more favourably. But he did hint to us, you mustn't uh, judge you know, make mannerisms from the judge and make judgments about that. And he was right, you know, because I got that completely wrong. I, I thought she was looking favourably on our QC's argument and he did argue very well on the points. Mm. Um, well, you, so the, you got plenty of publicity anyway, I, I suppose there is that. Yeah, yeah, and I think more people are aware um, of, you know, it's just another thing about the UK that's, you know, very much geared towards um, helping the establishment, the establishment or, you know, helping themselves, as you can see, um, from 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 the riches of the or uh, you know the money creation system that's possible, um, and you know getting people to understand that this is not acceptable. They don't have to accept that. That's I guess probably the most important thing I'm trying to do with modern money Scotland and Scotonomics is, is get people to really understand what the economic system, how it works, especially central bank function, and you know I, I really want to stop journalists saying you know, when they interview politicians, how are you going to find the money? What I want yeah. them to say is, how are you going to resource that? Yeah. That's great. That that sounds like it's a good point to get back to uh, economics and the monetary system again. Um, mm. Back in the previous referendum, I can remember uh, bemoaning the fact that the SNP were talking about continuing to use the British pound if the country became independent, which I've always thought means not becoming independent at all. Um, so next time Scotland votes on independence, and there's, there's a, a growing momentum for another referendum now, um, the debate about which currency a newly independent Scotland should use will again be very important. How do you see the debate going? Well, it's difficult to say. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an activist. I'm not very high up in the party. You know, I'm not an MP or an MSP. Um, you know, the people that are, are, are MSPs are closest to the leadership. And again, there are a small number of them. They're not, you're not all that close to the leadership as well. But, you know, I've seen the narrative from the leadership change over the past three years. So I feel hopeful that we'll get to the conclusion that we're going to talk more positively about our leadership are going to talk more positively about having our own currency um, mm. because you know that when we go to having a referendum if we're not talking about having our own currency we're not talking about independence that's mm. right yeah absolutely and uh, it, it's Scotland is certainly not too small a country to have its own currency it's the same population as Singapore for example Singapore manages its own currency very successfully and has had a very successful economy down through the decades. A lot of people uh, in Modern Money Scotland and elsewhere seem to be concerned about the currency depreciating significantly after uh, independence and that being inflationary. I just suspect they might be in for a surprise because there is such a Scottish diaspora. I wonder whether there might be a surge of patriotism from all these expats around the world. You might actually see a a big investment in the Scottish currency. 
after independence. It, it could easily go the other way. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I think that's entirely, yeah, entirely possible. I know that, you know, lots of expats were involved in the last referendum as well. So, mm. you know, if they think that they want to invest in, in Scotland, you know, there, there are plenty of people who want to do that, especially in the independence movement. So, yeah, that's, that's entirely possible. I don't know. It remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, setting up our own currency... Um, I talked to a journalist about it the other day and, you know, he said, but isn't it really complicated? And I said, well, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, it's happened fairly recently in other countries and, you know, there are lots of people who know how to do it. And um, we actually know quite a few of them and they're very busy and happy to come and help us when when the, when that day comes. So, in fact, I'm going to interview um, a guy called John Eggleson, who was on the board of the Icelandic Bank. He's actually uh, an engineer by trade, and he has just finished a PhD and handed this thesis in. And Scott Fulweiler is a supervisor. So okay. he's hoping, yeah, he's hoping that Stephanie Kelton is going to be on his Viva. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to interview him. We're actually going to film him. We're going to make a proper film um, so we know a filmmaker. And um, yeah, I'm going to meet him tomorrow and we're going to Edinburgh on Wednesday to film John Eggleston and, and talk to him about how he sees an independent Scotland working from his perspective. So John Eggleston is also a campaigner as well. And he took the UK government to court over their stance on trying to get the Icelandic taxpayer to make up for their bank's mistakes. So, right. Mm, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so, so he's really interesting. So yeah, we're going to interview him on Wednesday and and get get um a, a, an idea of what he thinks about it. So yeah, um yeah, that's that's going to be a really interesting interview. I'm looking forward to that. So lots of people want to help us um become an independent country. That is for sure. Yeah. And if you get your own currency, is it going to be? Do you think is it going to have a fixed exchange rate against the pound? Well, you know, you know, my preference would be, my preference is that it will float. Mm. Um, you know, I think Tim, who uh, he's also working very hard on this and has done for years. That's um, Tim Rideout. Tim Rideout, yeah. So yeah. He, he would say, um, you know, it will be pegged for a very short time and then, you know, we'll, we'll um, free float it. So, yes, it will go up and down like the pound. But, you know. I feel quite confident about it. You know, Scotland has got lots of good stuff to sell to, to the rest mm. of the world. And, you know, a lot of people like us, <laughs> frankly. So I think there's going to be a lot of people are going to help us. And I think for the people in the EU, it was a real shock when we came out of the EU. And mm. it really showed the divide in the UK because really literally... Yeah. The, the, the divide was very clear that when you cross the border, the people wanted, who wanted to stay in the U, EU were much more prevalent in, in Scotland. And yeah. that is, that's, there's, there's probably history uh, to do with that as well, you know, sort of the old alliance and that kind of thing. But, you know, Aberdeen, where I'm from, did a lot of trade with the Baltic and the Low Countries as well, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a lot of history in the past with us trading with Europe a great deal. And fighting a lot with England. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it, is, it is a shame. But, you know, the Westminster Parliament just works for Westminster and London. And I lived in London for eight years. I've, I've seen where the deficit spending goes. I go yeah. there regularly. I continue, continue to watch where the deficit spending goes and how great the infrastructure is there. And, you know, um, it's it's very clear that it's it's very, that, you know, the UK is very London-centric. It's very much mm. all London. 
Yeah. And the central bank's called the Bank of England, after all. Yes, central bank's the Bank of England, which was designed yeah. by a Scotsman, actually. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. So we, 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 need well, to have, we need to have fiscal and monetary sovereignty and really run our own affairs. It's not just that I would like to see Scotland uh, run its own affairs by people who live in Scotland. It's also I would like to see more democracy thereafter as well, and that I would like to see local, smaller local councils that are more empowered. Because mm. at the moment, very big councils. So when we look at our European neighbours like Norway um, and Denmark and Sweden, they have much more democracy going on. So, for example, where I live in Aberdeen, we have one councillor for four and a half thousand people, and that would be in yeah. Norway be one councillor for 700 people so it's very you know the democracy is very anemic and people feel very removed from it and I think that's very dangerous people need mm. to feel involved they feel that they need to feel like they're going to get a kick of the ball in their country and um, yeah I, I, councils are so important we have yeah. three levels of government here we have federal state and local government so um I think that's a bit unique isn't it yeah, well, Germany is much more like a federal situation as well. So, um, you know, it, it, our, our democracy in the UK is very anemic. So, you mm. know, in, in, in England, in the UK at the moment, you know, you have um, uh, the first-past-the-post system. So yeah. you have a, you have a conservative... progressives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's in yeah. with 40% 40, 40 of the vote. You yeah. know, so it, it doesn't even need to get 50% of the vote. So it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's not functioning properly. And you see the discontentment that's going on with that. And I think yeah. we'll, if we don't change that, certainly England, if we become independent, England has to change that. There's an awful lot of, uh, there, are, there are organisations that are trying to do something about that. They see that, that issue as well. Um, I was wondering if we could go back to something you mentioned in right at the beginning. Um, uh, the, at the Scottish National Party conference, um, the par, the motion in favour of job guarantee pass. Um, uh, wondering, uh, could you tell us about that and how is it likely to affect the uh, SNP policy? So. Um I uh, worked on this paper with uh, Cameron. He he really wrote it originally um, and it just needed a lot of editing. And, and I had different ideas as well in it too. Yeah. Um, it came from a different perspective from Cameron. So it ended up being quite a lot of work that I went into as well. So we finished the paper and then the next thing was to write the resolution. So you have to get the resolution passed by their bodies within the party as well as say, yeah, that'll work for that conference because they have a theme for the conferences as well. So they'll decide if that, that particular resolution will work for that conference. So, yeah, they, they took it on and me and Cameron, we did our speeches. Um, so And then it was passed. Yes, it was passed by quite a big vote. A lot of people liked it. So but the next thing you've got to do then after that is find a champion or champions mm. in the parliament to champion it for you. Um, yeah. really take it on. So it's officially SNP policy, but in order to bring it forward, then someone in the parliament has to, you know, start writing a bill or, you know, what, what perhaps we could do is in our local councils, we have council elections coming up in May um, and maybe try and get something happening in the local councils. That's maybe, I think, because we're not a currency issuer yet, maybe we yeah. can try piloting it. What we suggested was having yeah. pilots first. And then work out the glitches and see 
um, that when we become independent, that this is a policy that we can have, you know, as, as a price stabilizer. <laughs> Yeah, it really does sound like like we're mirroring a bit what you're doing because we um, we're working on a campaign for a job guarantee here yeah. as well. Um, obviously, we haven't got it to the quite the level of um, political acceptance that you have in the in the SNP. Uh, we do have Young Labor around Australia. Almost all of the branches of Young Labor are, have voted in favour of that that motion. And we have also had um, the motion pass in Tasmania, which is the, the very bottom bit of Australia, like that tiny it's little island. Yeah, down the bottom. Um, and in South Australia, it's been put to our, our state parliament as well. But um, yeah, so little, little bits of success, but we have a fair way to go. Um, but we're working on it very hard. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, politics, politics is like mud. You know, you have to you have to get in it, and yeah. when you're walking, it's very slow, and you know, it takes a lot of time. And you've got to work on persuading a lot of people around about you in your branch, in several branches, yeah. mm. and you know, really, as a grassroots activist, you've you've got a lot of work to do to convince a lot of people about your ideas. Mm. Um, but there are different ways of working on it. So you know, doing programs as well like this. Um, we suspect that we have got some of our elected representatives watching and looking at that as well. We don't know for sure, um, but we <laughs> hope. And um, and then also the paper that we wrote as well, we hope that that's, um, you know, convincing people that we're very serious about this idea and we've looked at it mm. very seriously. That's that's what I hope, anyway. <laughs> so yeah. People might not be aware of just what a big deal it is to get um, a job guarantee motion passed at the SNP conference. Um, the Scottish National Party is the governing party yes. in Scotland and in recent Westminster elections anyway has almost had a monopoly over Yes, Scotland. yes. And if we have another election in Westminster before we have a referendum, we probably take all of the seats next time. So, you know, there is a great deal of discontentment with, you know, how things are being run. I mean, the, the Scotland hasn't voted Conservative since 1955, you know. So, you know, mm -hmm. I've been, uh, I, I was born in 66. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always been a left-leaning country throughout my lifetime and before that as well. Um, but unfortunately, for, for much of my lifetime, we've had to live under Conservative governments because yeah. that's what England votes for. And that's, so that's yeah. what we get. Yeah. Yeah. Bring on the independence. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's about, um, it's, it's a democratic deficit. You know, we're, we're not yeah. the type of governance that we really want, which is more left of centre um, because, you know, England wants something else. But then I would argue, does it, um, you know, when you've got a first past the post system, it's not really reflective of what people want. So, you know, it's, right. yeah. you know, I, I can't solve that problem for England. They, you know, activists in England have to sort that out, you know. Yeah. Um, what do you see as uh, just sort of getting down to like what, what the vision for the job guarantee is? What do you see people doing in a Scottish job guarantee? Well, there's so much possibility. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have a particularly huge unemployment problem, but you know, you understand that anyone being unemployed involuntarily is, first of all, really bad for for them. You know, for their psyche, for their self respect. Mm -hmm. 
but as a country you know your people are your resource yeah such a waste yeah yeah and i i think sometimes with this, these conservative governments they they see uh, extra people as as being a, a a bind in some way that there's something that you know you want to kick off your shoe kind of thing that's that's very yeah. much the impression i get you know too many people it's a bad thing um so yeah no i mean clearly you know your people are your resource and you you want to make sure that your your resources are are working to the best effect for the country as a, a community as a whole mm. um, and i think that an awful lot of our leadership for the past you know 40 years over my most of my lifetime just really don't get that they don't really understand what's a country for you know what are you doing with your country what's it for at the end of the day funneling wealth upwards well you know that's what we've seen happen you know with with you know the the, the neoclassical neoliberal doctrine um and but you know it's a uh, you know I, I, I think that's got to turn i think so many young people now i mean certainly i've been interested in environmentalism for a long time and it was very niche for a long time mm. but it's not niche anymore yeah. You know, the majority of young people are very environmentally minded. You know, people sort of 16 up, um, you know, between 30 and 16, I think there, there's, you know, very much awareness. And also in the independence movement, I mean, the referendum was a, a, a moment in time where people got really interested in how the country ran. And there was an awful lot of really interesting conversations on buses, at bus stops and pubs, because people were really looking at, you know, how is this going to work and what are the things that we need to be concerned about? Because it's a big decision. Yeah. Um, so, you know, really some fascinating conversations just happening randomly all over the, all over the place. But that led to, uh, uh, I would say, a new enlightenment about politics, you know, people really starting, and economics as well. I believe that after the referendum, economics graduate you know there was a, there were a lot more people applying to do economics in scotland after the referendum that you know the numbers went up for that mm, that's mm. interesting yeah not that they have would have learned that much from the neoclassical <laughs> courses yeah. Yeah. and I, i've just spoken to patricia pino and interviewed her and you know it's very clear that that's still you know dynamic stochastic general equilibrium all those kind of things are still being very much taught to 19 year olds who just want to pass the exams Mm. Yeah, you know, they're not thinking. They might wait till they're twenty or twenty-one before they get to that version. (laughs) Yes, that's that's where they end up by the time they uh, finish their degrees. Yeah, which is something that I've spent years trying to yes uh, to fix in the mind away. Absolutely right. Yeah, but we all just been busy trying to get people to understand that that's not how everything works and actually I listened to a podcast today and again another guy was on it really intelligent guy talking about a lot of really interesting things he wrote a book called Davos Man um, Mm -hmm. and then later on in the interview he was said yeah we must tax the rich and you know and and I you know I I got onto them and said well we, we should tax the rich but not because we need their money we should tax them for other reasons. And I sort of listed the reasons. This is why you want to tax them because you want to reduce inequality. It's fundamentally toxic for your society. Um, if, if people have too much money, they have too much political capital, they can influence politics too much. And then also their elite consumption is trashing the planet. So, so these are really important reasons to stop people being too rich. 
Um, mm. and we, we had a Labour uh, minister years ago when, when Blair was in power who, you know, Peter Mandelson, who said, oh, I don't have a problem with people being filthy rich. Well, you know, I do. It isn't. It is a problem. It's not it's not a healthy thing for any society. And I think, you know, a, a year ago, just over a year ago, you know, you had that thing happening in Capitol Hill where the people, you know, mm. went into the, the White House and uh, into, sorry, into yeah. the hill yeah. and you know I, I wasn't surprised by that i mean 40 years of neoliberalism especially for people in some of these states in america you know it's it's been horrendous for them and of course they're going to get angry and there's a lot of anger um and mark yeah. Blythe writes about that in angrynomics and you know a lot of the things that he says in there are very true and i see it happening in the uk as well so in scotland you know when margaret thatcher was in um, a lot of the uh, uh, coal people that are digging for coal, the coal miners, steel workers, a lot of these big industries just shut down. And, you know, they expected these guys to work in call centres. You know, and what we're seeing now yeah. with oil is you've got to have a just transition. You've got to transition people properly out of those jobs into jobs that are much more suitable for them and play to their strengths. And again, you know, these are people with really uh, important skills that if you lose them as a country, it's, 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 you know, I just don't think that a lot of politicians seem to understand that. I think that, I think there's quite a lot of the Conservatives do, but they just mm. don't care. I think there's a lot of Conservatives that do care. I mean, not that there are people in the Conservative Party in the UK that are rebelling against a lot of the things that happened just now. So it's not, it's not across the board, but the people that we have in power at the moment in the UK are very libertarian, very libertarian, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Much the same in our country over here as well. We had I, I remember I remember very well the miners' strike in the UK in the early 1980s. It was the same across Northern England and, of course, South Wales, where my family's from, mm. um, as well. And Margaret Thatcher, she didn't just change the UK. Uh, she managed to change the whole world, really, in my view. Australia as well, and with Ronald Reagan, the US too, and the whole neoliberal experiment, um, which they've been running ever since. Um, we we need to turn around and and move towards something much better and, and something sustainable very urgently. It's great that you, you're talking to Patricia Pino. I guess that's, that, is that going to be a Scottonomics podcast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, really? yeah. So, so much looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we, we've got a few interesting guests. We've actually just interviewed a guy called um, Neil McEnroy, who I mm -hmm. saw speak in Edinburgh in 2017 at uh, an event called ourdemocracy.scot. So again, it was really about increasing subsidiarity and making sure there's more democracy. Um, so he he works on community wealth building and he has done for years and he's currently seconded by by the scottish government just now for a couple of days a week and three days a week he works for an american think tank but yeah it's all about for example i don't know if you've heard about this it's called the preston model so he was deeply involved with that so the preston model they looked at preston and realized that for example a lot of what they call their anchor institutions um, they are spending money out with their area, you know, so buying things in from far away rather than spending things locally. You know, it, mm. And it was also for them as an organisation, they had to train up people 
to understand how to do procurement, how to uh, bid for things from, you know, these anchor institutions, which would be your council, the hospital, the university, mm. big organisations that had lots of public money and making sure that people in the local area um, bid for these, these uh, things. And eventually, um, you know, it resulted in like something like 1,400 extra jobs. Um, That's in Preston in, in, north, in the north of England. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very well known. You know, you hear it talked mm. about quite a lot, and it was very transformative. So he's busy with that in, within the Scottish government as well. One of our ministers is very much into that, so that's a great thing. Um, yeah, so uh, he's he, that'll be a really interesting one to listen to. He's got a lot of experience with that. We also Excellent. have interviewed um, a few other interviews. We've interviewed Warren Mosler, so he'll he'll be up there soon too. Is that that's, how is that related to say what Kate Raworth's doing with the local? The kind of donut model on a city type um, experiments. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't think uh, probably she would have influenced him. I would have thought so, um, but I, you know, he didn't talk about her during the interview. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've listened to that book three times. I, I listen mm -hmm. to books quite often now as well. So uh, yeah, that's. I, I mean, I love donut economics. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Was, uh, it was great, great book. So yeah, there's an awful lot in there. But yeah, we we need to empower communities much, much more. And you know what what Neil talks about as well is, and in, to be fair to the Scottish government, they're actually encouraging a lot more uh, cooperatives because obviously when people are working together in a business and it's for them, then you know that's really going to be your best outcome, really, yeah. especially if, if people know what they're doing within the business as well, you know, or a good amount of them do. So. Yeah, that's, you know, that kind of more shared ownership model is definitely the way to go for a lot more businesses. We need to move away from, you know, the corporation type structures, which are so toxic. Yeah. Thanks very much, Karen. This has been great. Is there anything, Gabby, is there anything you want to ask before we finish? Uh, I I do, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm really fascinated by the work that you're doing because I think, um, there's so much to look up to and to be inspired by. Um, I pro we probably should wrap it up because we've gone well over our, our 30 minutes. <laughs> um, but um, it's been really lovely to talk to you. And, um, yeah, I think um, we need more activists in the world. We need people who are brave and who have great ideas to just go that extra step and, you know, why not sue the government for using public money to prop up polluting, polluting fossil, uh, you know, fossil fuels. I think um, here, here we have the school strike for climate movement. We have Extinction Rebellion. We have the kind of citizens' assemblies, people who are in, really interested in that. Like you said, I think we have, we have there's a great um, movement for change and we really do need to turn this, this, uh, ship around and head back in in the direction of sustainable a sustainable future. Um, so we would love to talk to you again at some stage. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, I think, that's um, perfect analogy. We really need to turn this ship around. I mean, you know, it, it, it really we're in a situation where we have an existential threat to our lives. And you know, I know in Australia that you, you there were some horrific images coming out of Australia with the, the amount of forestry that was yeah. burned down and the flora and fauna that were destroyed in an area the size of Ireland. You know, that happened just before the pandemic and that was just so mm -hmm. 
painful to watch, painful. And, um, and you know, really, we, we, we have to fight for the, we are the stewards. We are the stewards. You know, we're the we're supposed to be the grown-ups here in this planet, and we've got to look after it. And you know, we've got to stop the the dinosaurs and the idiots from destroying it. And we've all got to stand up and do everything that we possibly can with them at the amount of time that we've got. Well, <laughs> thank you, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'd like to very much recommend that everybody watching this checks out Scottonomics and uh, listens to all the interviews on there except perhaps the one with me but all the others right <laughs> and uh please join us at the same time next week to talk to the excellent american economist sherry wise about something very topical uh, monopoly power regulation and strategic price controls among much else and please everyone watch joe firestone's show at the top of the hour thanks, thanks for having me <laughs> thanks for listening everyone see you next time